Yeah. Some of you, some of you are going, that's the best song I've ever sang in church, right there. <laughs> Last night there's a guy down here, I don't know if he's listening or not, but as soon as he started singing that chorus, his hand went up. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, yes, it was, it was great. <laughs> I think it'd be a great worship song. I think we should just sing that now. We're not going to. Anyway, hey, uh, uh, anyway, uh, hey, let me tell you, before we get into this, I have two announcements really quick. First of all, this Friday, so five days from now, this Friday, we are hosting probably the biggest party in Denver. I, I can honestly say that. We're expecting between 10 and 20,000 kids to show up here between 6.30 and 9 next, this coming Friday. And uh, uh, we want to we make a good impression on them. We want to open our doors really, really wide for two reasons. One is we want to provide Denver with a really safe environment for them to bring their kids. It's a really crazy environment and everybody's kind of nervous and all the parents are really kind of scared over the last few weeks. We want to provide a really safe environment for kids. In order to do that, we want to make sure there's enough candy for everybody. So um, how many of you all have already brought candy? Show, show of hands. Good. You're going to heaven. You are. Okay. You're in. There you go. The rest of you. No, I don't know. And uh, so here's one. If you haven't, if you haven't provided candy, or you're going, you know, we should get more. Then right after this service, you should just run over to a grocery store or uh, whatever. You know, I'm trying to not say anyone because uh, well, I work at this one. You didn't mention me. I'm sorry. Anyway, go to the store and then come back. And we need about 15 more garbage cans full of candy. And so if you haven't done that yet, you can do that. You can stop by all week long, drop it off here at the lobby, or next Friday when you show up. You know, with a van load of kids, then bring a few bags of candy with you uh, if you can do that. Last last week, some lady and. Uh, she, our security watched this happen. She, she wa- looked in the garage door. She was just walking by. She saw the candy. She went in and she, she grabbed a bag of candy and ran out. And uh, so it's like, lady, if you want it that bad, just take it, you know? And so um, we pray for her. And uh, so... So there's that. We also need a lot of volunteers uh, because of all these kids are coming and things like that. We have games. We have big inflatable things. We have trunk or treat out in our parking lot. We have, but we need probably another 100, 150 volunteers to make this thing happen, uh, set up, tear down, all that kind of stuff. So, so if you love Jesus, you'll do that. And uh, <laughs> no guilt. Or, yeah, it's guilt. It's pressure. There you go. So uh, go get candy and, and volunteer if you can do that. You can get online and do that or you can stop by the info center. Uh, the other thing is that uh, a week from today, right after this service, so on Saturday night after the five o'clock and then on Sunday after this service down at the West End, Jesse, our new teaching pastor, is going to be uh, leading a seminar down there called The Characteristics of God. All, all semester long, we're trying to figure out and get to know God better than we currently do. And so what Jesse's going to do is he's going to, and you can just show up, you don't, you know, you can leave your kids for two hours in, in kids ministry, things like that. Don't go to brunch. Go to the seminar. Anyway, so uh, you can go in there and Jesse's going to look at different character, characteristics and attributes of God that the Bible says God's like this and then what that would mean for our lives if that is true about God. Again, you don't need to sign up. You just need to show up down there next, next Sunday right after this service down on, on, the, on, on the West End. Got it? Hey, let me jump into this. Last week, we, we began a new series, kicked off a new series where we're looking at this idea that there are no shortcuts in life uh, to becoming the men and women that, that God wants us to be, the men and women that, that we really need to be, and the men and women that the people in our life that we love the most and who love us the most need us to be or become. And what we looked at it last week was this. Jesus promised that if we would hold on to what he said in was true and better about us and what he said was true and best for us, he promised he would lead us. Just, he said, trust me, I will lead you to life. And the life that he says I'll lead you to, he described with words like this. It's better than the life you currently have. It's more abundant life. It's, it's a free life. I'll lead you and you'll become the person that you were meant to be living the life that you were meant to live. But we also looked at this, this reality last week is this, is that there will always be another voice in our life. There will always be another option on the table, another choice in front of us claiming to be or, or tempting us to believe that there's another way 
a shortcut to becoming who and what we need to be and, and become. But it's different than what God says. But it always promises that it's better than what God says. It's truer than what God says. And it's usually faster and easier to get where you want to go than what God says. Or at least it's more realistic for your circumstances to do it this way, different than what God said. And the main areas of life that, that, that are targeted by this temptation to believe something, sometimes it's just a little bit different. Sometimes it's a lot different than what God has said. It almost always comes down to three questions that we ask ourselves all the time. The first question goes like this. Am I really forgiven by God for my past mistakes or is it already too late for me? We wrestle with that all the time, don't we? Especially we just blew something up again. We come back to this question. Do I think God's gonna forgive me this time or is it too late for someone like me? The second question would be this. Am I really who God says I am and worth what God says I'm worth? Because I got a lot of other voices in my life saying I'm very different than that. Even the voice in my own head. And, and that came back, we unpacked this last week, this identity and value, which we get when Jesus moves inside of us and he begins to regenerate a new person within us. The Bible says it like this, the old person, the old man, the old woman, that she's dead or he, he's, he's been crucified with Christ and now I'm a new creation. Yeah, you, you can point a finger in my chest and go, I remember when you used to do this and you were like this. Right, he's dead. I'm a new creation. I have a new definition of life. The third question is this, am I loved by God and will he really take care of me like he promises, especially this time? I know he's done it in the past, but, but will, does God love me and will he really show up and take care of me like he promises? And Jesus taught that if we, if we listen to or, or believe in or, or hold on to any other voice in, in our life, including the own, our own voice in our own head, he says, if you hold on to any other truth other than what I said is true, you'll end up holding on to a truth that's not really true. And if you hold on to a truth that's not really true, it will lead you to a life that's not really life. And a life that's not really life is death. A life that's not really free is just, I don't know, some degree of slavery, Right? But Jesus taught us this also. He says, but if you will trust me, if you will you know, hold on to me, what I said is true, then out of that trust, out of that faith, if you'll get up out of this room and go obey me, I promise I will faithfully, I love that word, I'll faithfully provide everything you need so that whatever is happening in your life, it won't crush you. It'll feel like it, I just won't let it. He actually promises to use everything, good and bad things happening in your life for your good, to strengthen you into the person that you were meant to be, that he wants you to be, that you've always wanted to be. You know, all that sounds good, right? I mean, everybody, most of us can hang with everything I've said so far. Here's the confusing part from last week, at least for me. We're in Matthew chapter four. We're gonna be there again today if you wanna go get a Bible. But Matthew chapter four, this is the verse we unpacked. It says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. So Jesus was led by God, the Father, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now that that's confusing for me sometimes because what it means is God led Jesus into a place knowing that when Jesus got there, Satan would be waiting on him trying to screw up his life. I'm gonna lead you to a place and I know when you get there, Satan's gonna be there waiting on you, trying to get you and convince you to not trust me, not believe what I said about you or why I put you there in the first place. And the application for us uh, it was, it was, was this, is sometimes, and I don't like this, it's just true is that sometimes in order to develop me and strengthen me into the person that God wants me to be and you to be, sometimes God will allow and sometimes God will even intentionally put us in circumstances that he knows in those circumstances we might choose to blow him off. God will put us in circumstances where he knows when we get there we'll be tempted to look back at God and say, but out of my life, I don't believe you, I don't trust you and I'm not gonna obey you. He puts us there knowing we could choose to blow, him, to blow him off. And, and why? He says, I, I do it to strengthen you. 
And the analogy or the comparison we used last week was, was like going to the gym and lifting weights, trying, to, trying to, to, to get in shape, right? Going to the gym and overloading a muscle. See, the only way for a muscle to, to get healthy and stay healthy and grow and get stronger is not to isolate it and protect it from anything hard or stressful, right? That is actually the opposite, right? If you, if you want to get stronger and faster, whatever that is, intentionally, slowly, I'm going to keep on adding more and more weight to the bar and then pushing the limits of that muscle, what it's ever done, been asked to do before, and then give it a chance to rest and recover a little bit, feed it a little bit, and then doing it again the next day with even more weight. That's the only way to get stronger physically in your life. And Jesus says the same thing is true in your faith. There are no shortcuts to growing stronger in your faith or becoming the men or women that, that we, we need to be. But in that process of over, overloading your life and, and stressing you out and things like that, God makes us some, some promises in that strengthening process. Like this, God's goal is always for your good and not, not for your failure. God's goal for your life is to stand strong, not to fall down. That's Satan. All right, so God is not trying to trip you up and screw up your life. Here, I'll do this to you. See if I can get you to fall flat. That's not it. That's Satan. Second thing is this. God won't let anything happen in our lives that's beyond what we can bear. That's the key phrase, with his help. And in weightlifting terms, we talk about this. He'll spot us. He'll spot us, right? That doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. That doesn't mean that we might die in the process. I'm saying I won't let it crush who you are, Right? The third thing is this, he promises that he will, and the word is faithfully, he will, I promise, I'll provide a way to either stand up under and do the right thing under that weight that's pushing down on you, all right? I'll give you the strength to hold up, or I'll give you a way out before it crushes you, before you fall. One of those two things is true. No matter what happens in your life, your fault, somebody else's fault, I promise you, I'll either give you the strength so it doesn't crush you, or if it looks like it might crush you, I'll show you how to get out, out from under it. And that's where we landed last week. I'm going to pick up right here. And this is a lot of our stories. Just because something really, really hard happened to us in our life, and just because God told us what to do and gave us the strength to stand up under it or gave us a way to get out of it, doesn't mean we took it, right? And that's my story, right? I look back over every big blow up in my life, every crushing instance of my life, and I look back and I, I knew, I knew what God wanted me to do. I, I didn't hear an audible voice out of heaven. I didn't have a burning bush in my front yard or something like that. But I knew exactly what I needed to do in this situation. And I looked at God and I said, I don't believe you and I don't trust you. And, and I, I'm fine. I can, I can handle this. This is no big deal. I'm going to stay. I know I should go. I'm going to stay. We sincerely thought, I think staying and you know, not, not running away, I think this is actually better. But we were sincerely wrong. And the result was we got crushed. And worse yet, a lot of people around us that have kind of hits their wagon to us, they, they got crushed in the process. And then we do what we always do. We look at God and we blame him and say, you didn't take very good care of me. But deep down inside, you know that's not true. Right? That's my story anyway. Maybe I'm the only one. But it's true. It's like I knew God told me, here's what's true, here's what's better, and there's an exit door. And I said, I'm going to stay in the temptation, and I'm going to believe and do something different than you got. That's my story anyway. So today we're going to pick up, and we're going to look at, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at one of the areas of life where temptation is going to target us the hardest, to not believe in or, or live out of what God says is true and better for us and about us. We're going to watch Jesus. We talked about this last week. We're going to watch Jesus get weight put on the bar, see how he deals with temptation, and then we'll see how that might look for us. So we're going to pick up the story in the very next verse that we, that we, that we went through last, last week, all right? God has led Jesus out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. Here we go, ready? It says this, all right? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
Well, that's deep. All right. Let me explain this. All right. Fasting is, is the, it's, it wasn't a weight loss program or something like that. Right? Uh, fasting is actually a spiritual discipline of, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to go without food for a day or a week or, or 40 days in, in this case. All right. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the time that I was eating food to concentrate or focus on something spiritual like prayer. People still do this today. So, right, so they'll let those hunger pains kind of remind them, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm giving up food to remind me that I'm going to really concentrate on this, all right? So Jesus has been out in the desert because he's getting ready. He just got baptized. He's getting ready to launch the next three years that culminate in his crucifixion and resurrection. So he goes out in the desert and spends about 40 days and nights out there praying, not eating any food, only having water to drink, all right? And 40 days, that's, that's almost six weeks. <laughs> I did the math. <laughs> so so the this, this, this same... He was hungry. I think that's an understatement. I, I, don't you? I mean, I, I can relate to this a little bit. I mean, here's what I mean is um, a few weeks ago, I'm going to be really vulnerable today and kind of get to know more, too much information about Jim. But here it is, all right? Uh, so a couple weeks ago, you know, so I'm 50 now. So I'm near 50, they make you go to the doctor and they stick a camera up your butt to look around. They do that, all right? Anybody? Anybody been there? You and me, brother. So, all right, good, good. All right, so anyway, all right. And I'm like, I, I, feel, I feel fine. I really, I don't really need, to, but anyway, they're like, you know, do I, but so here's the thing, okay? Wow. I just told 10,000 people, like, hey, I, pray for me. The point is, eh, everything's good, but anyway, but anyway, so, so here's the other part. It's like, I, that whole week I was in a horrible mood, horrible mood for, for two reasons. One is I knew what they were going to do to me on Wednesday, and I, one of my life goals was nobody's ever going to do that, all right? So that was just one of mine. So I don't want that to ever happen, anything similar, right? And the other thing is, and then after the procedure was over, I was really, 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 really hungry, all right? So the moment I was released from that doctor's office, Mr. Bergen, you can go. I looked at Will, the guy that was driving me because I was stoned, all right? So I said, hey, Will, hey, let's just go to Noodle. And he's like, what do you want? I'm like, everything. I want, I want everything on the menu. And at that moment, if Will would have said, well, what would you do? What would you do for some mac and cheese right now? Or what would you do for a you know, Chipotle chicken burrito, all right? The answer would probably have been, I'll do anything, Will. Anything, all right? You name it, I'll do anything. I'm just really, really, really hungry, all right? So I would do anything, and nobody better get in my way to get to what I want to all right, what, what I want to do, I want to eat, all right? So, and here's what I mean by that, okay? And this is going to be really disappointing for a lot of you and me, but get used to that, all right? But I have this fantasy. <laughs> I have this fantasy, and I think, it's safe to, I think it's safe to say every dude in this room has the same fantasy, and it's, it's not that one, all right? That's a different one, all right? Different sermon, but... <laughs> I don't think... No, all right, so anyway, my, my fantasy is what every guy in this... Maybe, maybe ladies here like this too, all right? I have this fantasy that I... I want to mount missile launchers on the front of my car. Anybody else? Thank you, all right? Now, I know that's not a nice thing to do, but I, I still, I want to do that. And the reason is if somebody gets in front of me and drives stupid, I want to push a button and vaporize them and help the world out, okay? Because they, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't be there. And, and here's, all right, again, I'm not a good person. Find another church, all right? So um, all, all that to say is the day before, if that lady from the day before, which is like a 150-year-old lady, got in front of me and drove really, really stupid, if, if between the hospital and noodles up the, the, the hill, if she would have gotten in front of me, I would have pushed a button and nuked her little Prius off the face of the earth, all right? <laughs> now, that's not nice. That's not good. That's a, I think it's a sin, actually, all right? So, um, but here's my point, all right? Here's my point, all right? Is, is this, is that when you're really hungry, you don't always think clearly. Right? I mean, when, you really, when you're really hungry or you really have this need in your life, whatever, or this felt need anyway, you don't always make wise decisions. You don't use good judgment. You say things and do things, all right? You're willing to do some things. And I'd even say this. You're tempted to do some things that under normal circumstances, if you're feeling okay, you probably wouldn't do. 
But given what's going on right now in the moment of my life, I, I, I'm going to make some bad decisions. And Satan knows that about me, and he knows that about you, and he assumed the same thing about Jesus. And again, I, I wasn't there, you know, and, 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 and maybe you don't have to believe this or not, but in my mind, this is how it kind of played out. I think Satan's looking at Jesus, you know, watching him and things like that, and he goes, let's see, how can I screw up his life? Well, how, well, what's going on right now in Jesus' life that he's the most vulnerable that I might have a, an attack and it might really succeed, all right? What's going on in his life? Well, um, hmm. he hasn't eaten any food in six weeks. Let's start there, right? So that's what, remember that. We'll come back to that. Verse three. So the tempter, Satan, came to Jesus and he said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time just unpacking that verse, all right? So if, if you're a note taker, Begin. Here we go. Here's what I want to teach first, all right? The first thing is this. Satan is not stupid. He's not stupid. Some of you are going, he's just so dumb. And, you know, we sang songs about sit on attack when I was a kid. All those, you know, songs like that. But, but Satan's not dumb. He's evil and he's cruel and he's destructive. But don't think that that means he's not smart. He's, he's very, very smart. As a matter of fact, the Bible describes Satan in Ezekiel chapter 28. This is an old part of the Bible, the beginning part of the Bible. The, the Bible describes Satan as this. Satan is perfect in wisdom and beauty. Meaning he's very smart and he's attractive. Because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna follow, I'm not gonna fall into anybody's trap if they're like, oh, that's hideous, I don't wanna. No, he's very, very smart, very, very wise, perfect in wisdom and beauty. The other thing the Bible says is that he's also full of iniquity and evil. He's beautiful, evil to the core. Here's what, here's what Jesus says about Satan to a group of people. There's a group of people, some Jewish men that are walking around going, don't believe Jesus, he's a fake, don't, he's not who he says he is. And Jesus looks at them and calls them out. And he says to these guys, he says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Now he's going to talk about the devil here. Look at this. He says, he, the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning, like chapter one of the Bible, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When Satan lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here's how Jesus describes Satan, who's standing in front of him right now, trying to tempt him to do something. First of all, Jesus says, Satan is smart. Satan knows exactly who Jesus is. He knows the truth about Jesus, all right? Second is he's beautiful. He's not this ugly science fiction cartoon character from South Park, all right? That's not him. I, I think our world wants us to begin to, to believe that he's just this little, uh, whatever, little thing that sits on your shoulder or something like that, yeah, because that's not a real threat. A cartoon's not a threat. He's beautiful. He's gonna come at you with beauty. And there's no truth in him. And I say there's no truth in him, meaning he'll manipulate truth. He'll give you part of the truth, you know, 50% of the truth, maybe even 90% of the truth, and that last 10% screws up your life with it because he's a liar. Satan's a liar. No matter what he promises, it's, it's just not true because Satan has one plan for your life, just one agenda for your life. It doesn't matter what he promises you, the deals you make with him or something like that. The end goal is your murder and your death. And everything he says and everything he promises and everything that he does in your life has one outcome in mind. Destroy and steal and rip off everything important in your life. Here's what Paul teaches about Satan and how he works. I love this. He, he's using this as a metaphor. So here we go. He says to some people who live in a town called Ephesus, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Because if you try to, you know, conquer all these temptations out of your own power, you're just going to get crushed, all right? So finally, we have to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And here's how we do that. And again, this is a metaphor. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's 
schemes, all right? And I love that word schemes. This is one of those underlined right in the margin of your Bible because schemes, you know, when I read schemes, I, I think of, I'll get you my pretty or something like that, all right? I think it's like bad stuff. But the word, the word scheme literally translates this way, a specific, individually targeted, tactical, designed attack planned just for you. That's what a scheme is. Right? And, and see, we all, we all say this all the time. Well, well, hard stuff or bad stuff happens to everybody, and that's true. We all go through bad stuff in our life, right? But what the Bible teaches is that Satan doesn't just hit you with random hard stuff, hoping you'll, you'll mess up. No, he's smarter than that. According to, according to the Bible, Satan, you know, Satan has done his recon. He, he is, he's researched you, right? And based on what he's watched and found out about you, he has planned out an orderly method and plan of attack on you. And I know that sounds a little bit creepy, but you've felt that before, right? You've sensed that before. How many times have you thought to yourself, it's like he knows. He knows exactly what to hit me with at the worst moment, all right? Every time I just feel evil, like a presence in my life. It felt like somebody was deliberately trying to mess me up. It's like it's not a coincidence. You're right. You're right. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been studied, researched, and the area that you're being attacked in, it's not a coincidence. Look at the next thing that Paul says about this. He says, for our struggle against these hard things in our life, these, these really tempting, you know, crushing things, it's, it's not a, 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 against flesh and blood. That's not what our struggle is against. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the, in the heavenly or the spiritual realms. In other words, it feels like I'm being tempted on a, on a, on a physical or a flesh and bone or a sexual or a, or a hormonal level, but, but make no mistake, this is a spiritual battle being waged against us by a spiritual being who wants us to fail, who wants us to be cut off from God, from God, who wants us to die in our sin because if we die in our sin, Satan regards that as a big F you to God. That's just true. He really does. And here's what I mean by that. He can't, that just freaks the death. I don't know how to sign that. All right, well, <laughs> I do. <laughs> so anyway. <clears throat> don't throw stones at me. All right, so <clears throat> Here's what I mean, come on back, kids. Here's what I mean by that, right? <clears throat> it's like Satan hates God, but he can't touch God because he's God, right? So what he does is I'm gonna destroy the people that God loves the most, and that's us as a way of, of hurting God. And that's just like us. See, if you don't like me or you hate me, you can come after me. You can meet me in the lobby and come after me. We can go at it, and I, I can take most of you. I, well, you know, so we can go out and we, we can do that. But, but here's the truth is, if you really want to hurt me, it's not punching me in the face or, or shooting or hurting. You know, no, that's not how you hurt me. You want to really hurt me, you do something to my kids, right? You come after my wife or my kids or my grand, my, did I miss I have a grandson? Anyway, so, right, so you come after one of them, and all of a sudden, it, I, you're not getting flesh and blown anymore. You've now cut me to the heart. And that's what Satan's doing, right? See, he's not dumb. He's smart, so he attacks Jesus by tempting him with food, bread. But remember, he's not really attacking on the physical hunger level. It's always about more. He's attacking Jesus, trying to get Jesus to, to question his trust and obedience to who God is and, and, and what, how God has told him to live his life. Satan's coming after you, just like he came after Jesus. The second thing out of that verse I get is this. Because Jesus is hungry, Satan offers Jesus an easy out, an easy solution to the problem. Jesus, just take matters in your own hands. Just tell, you know, tell these stones, zap them, whatever you do, right? Tell these stones to become bread, which I have to admit would be an awesome skill set to have. Right? I really, really, I mean, again, I have several fantasies that I've held for a long time. One would be missile launches on the front of my car. The other, I wish I, wish I had magic powers. I do. I, I, I wish that I could wish things or, or, you know, 
do this, all right, or wiggle my nose. I grew up watching Bewitched my whole life, all right? So I, all my life, I just want to make things happen. I, I really do. And I wish my motives for that were, well, I'd make world peace happen, and I didn't, you know, world hunger and stuff like that. And I would eventually do that. But when I think about, you know, making things happen, I'm thinking, this is what I would do. I'd, like, make all my stoplights turn green. That's what I would do. I'm not a very deep person. I wouldn't. I would, uh, I'd make it snow when I want to go skiing. I'd make it warm when I go to the beach. My car would never run out of gas. I'd just look at it and go, up, up it would go, right? Um, I would clean up in Vegas. I, just, I really would. Um, and the Broncos would always win because I would blink my eyes and wiggle my nose and make a wish. And Eric Decker would never fall down in the middle of a field untouched. <laughs> Again, all right? I'll be whoop, all right? So anyway, all right? Bottom line is this, is this, if I had supernatural powers to turn stuff around, like I would do stuff that I want to happen. I would. If I can make things happen, the top of the list would be the stuff that I want to happen for me, wouldn't you? And that's exactly what Satan is appealing to with Jesus. And again, I wasn't there, but this is in my, kind of my gym world. This is, this is kind of how it's going on, all right? Hey, Jesus, here you are out here in the desert. You, you came out here because God led you out here. It says that in the Bible. God led you out here, all right? So you, listen, you did your part. You did what you were supposed to do. Now, I guess that's good, but look around now. And you can fill in your name here anytime with Jesus' name, all right? Look, look around. What, what's going on now? God brought you out here, and this is, this is what you get? I mean, it's been like 40 days and you've got to be hungry. Where's God now when you need him? Why, why or how could he bring you out here and then not take care of you? I mean, doesn't he care about how this feels, how you must feel about your needs? Has God forgotten about you, right? And maybe, the, maybe, maybe Jesus, maybe Jim, whatever you want to, maybe you're on your own and you need to take care of this. You need to fix your problem because God obviously is not going to because he, he doesn't either, he either can't or he doesn't understand what's going on or how you feel. So why don't you just do what you want to do? what you should do. Because if you did, if you just did what you deserved to do, you wouldn't be hungry anymore. And I'm sure God doesn't want you to be hungry. God doesn't want you to be uncomfortable or unhappy. That wouldn't be very loving, would it? And any place in there, you can fill your own name in there. True? So here's what Satan does, all right? First, he hits us where we're most vulnerable, all right? He's not gonna come after you in your strongest part of your life. He's gonna find that kink in your arm. He's just gonna do that. Second, he, he tries to get you to question if God's gonna take care of you this time, right? And third, he tries to undermine your identity. Right, here's what I mean by that. Look back at that, that verse again, the, the, the first part of it. The tempter, Satan came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, time out. Satan knew exactly who Jesus was. If, if you are, I know exactly who you are. Here, write this down. This is worth writing down. Satan is not an atheist. <laughs> oh, he, he believes in God? Oh, they've met. Yeah, all right, absolutely, all right? I mean, all through the Bible, whenever Jesus is confronted like this situation with, with, with Satan, or, or later we're going to look at him have conversations with demons, every time before Jesus even says anything, they know exactly who he is. They call him out. They go, you're the son of God. Don't hurt us. Right? They, they, they know exactly what, who he is. They know exactly what he can do. And, and by, the end, by the way, they all know what happens in the end to them. They, they, they know the truth. This is an attempt to get Jesus to question who he is. Right? And maybe see himself differently than how God sees him. And here's what I mean by that. If you just back up a few verses, God has just said, as Jesus came up out of the water being baptized, God, a voice out of heaven says this, this is my son whom I love. This is who he is. This is my son. I love him. Satan could be attacking Jesus on two different fronts, maybe both. First, he'd be, he could be trying to get Jesus to question if God was telling him the truth. I mean, so you're God's son. Is that it? This is how God treats his kids? Right? 
See, his, it's his oldest trick. It's the oldest trick in the book, literally, all right? If you go all the way back to the first couple of chapters of the Bible, back in the Garden of Eden, his, Satan's opening line to Adam and Eve to screw up their lives was the same type of question. Do you remember what he asked him? Did God really say you can't eat from that tree? Did God really, come on, really, did God say not to eat from that tree? That didn't make sense. And they came back. Yes, he did. We can't eat from it or touch it or we'll die. And Satan comes back at him going, no, you won't. You will not die. You won't die. Translated, God isn't telling you the truth. God's keeping something from you. But I'm looking out for you. I got another way around God. It'll get you, it's a shortcut to get you to the good stuff that God doesn't want you to have. It's a better way than God's way. Right? So, so this could be an attempt to tempt Jesus to not believe that he was who God has just declared him to be. Or it could be a temptation on the, on the other extreme. Hey, hey, if you really are the son of God, and I believe that, I'm on your side looking out for you here, Jesus, all right? Th- then you deserve better than this. If you really are the son of God, I mean, why, why should you, the son of God, why should you go without or do without? I mean, you're important. People are going to look up to you. You're, you're like, like the king. You create stuff. You run your own company. You drive this kind of car. You, you're really, really, really important. Other people, they, they may have to go without food or maybe they need to play by the rules. But your situation, because of who you are, it's different. God knows your heart. God knows your heart and understands what you're going through. And he'd understand if you need to sin this one time. I mean, you're the son of God or you're, you're, you're who you are. So go ahead this one time. Under the circumstances, just do what you have to do. And by the way, if it is a sin, you can always ask for forgiveness later. Anybody had that conversation in their head? That's a f- famous last line. I'm, you know what? It's probably wrong. I'll just ask for forgiveness later. And, and everything blew up. So let's look at how Jesus responds to this or, or these temptations. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written... Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? So I I, I don't live on bread. I live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You notice what Jesus does not say to to combat temptation here? He doesn't look back at Satan and go, no, thanks. I'm not really hungry. You know why he didn't say that? Because he was hungry, why? He hadn't eaten in six weeks, all right? And he had flesh and bone just like us. So at the end of, you know, at the end of, uh, of six weeks, he was very, very hungry. So he didn't say, no, thanks. I'm, not, I'm really not into food. And obviously the thing that Jesus is not saying is this. I don't need food because I have faith. And if I or anybody else has faith and just, you know, you really know that God loves you and all that kind of stuff, you don't even need to eat food anymore. All you need is faith and love. That's all you need. It's not true. Jesus comes back with this. Hey, listen, man doesn't live by bread, what? Alone. Alone, meaning this, is that there are, there are other things that are more important in life than me getting fed right now. Like, like what? Like believing that God knows what you or I need before and better than what you think you need? God knows better. He's got this under control. And trusting that God will provide it for you at the right time, just like you promised he would? See, when Jesus is saying this, he's actually quoting a verse out of the, uh, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, from the time when we all summer long, we looked at the, the, this group of people called the Israelites, and they were enslaved in Egypt. Remember this? And, and then, then God sent Moses to, to rescue them, let my people go, that whole thing. And Pharaoh said no, and then 10 plagues came, and finally Pharaoh says, get out of here. And, and they go out in the desert, and then Pharaoh changes his mind and comes after them, and, and they're up against the ocean. And, and so there's this real narrow part of the sea, and it splits open, and they go through it, and then it closes back. God's done amazing things to deliver his people. And now they're about a week out from the the Red Sea and they run out of food. And you know what everybody starts doing? Yelling at God, whining and complaining. God doesn't really care about us. And even though he's done great stuff in the past, all right, well, obviously he's not going to help me out now. I'm hungry. 
And what are we gonna do? And why has God forgotten about us? And hey, God, thanks for yesterday, but what have you done for me lately? Followed by this, Moses, just take us back to Egypt. They actually looked at Moses and said, we just wanna go back home. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't perfect there, you know, and the king did some things like kill our children, but at least, at least we had food on the table. <laughs> In other words, this is how these people, and this is how I sometimes, we get stuck in our thinking. We're out there in a really bad circumstances, and this is kind of the, how it goes in, in our head. And in my experience, you know, we need bread like we used to have back in Egypt. That's our only paradigm for not starving. You gotta have bread or you'll starve. So the only logical thing, the only thing that makes sense to me is God ought to send us some flour, you know, and some salt and some whatever it is, and, that, and maybe an oven out here, but, that, but we're in the desert, and that's impossible, it's not gonna happen. Given what's going on, that's never gonna happen. So let's just go back to Egypt. At least there, we didn't starve to death. Here's their complaint. If God loved us, if God really was God, here it is, ready? He would do what I tell him to do. And if he doesn't do what I tell him to do in the way that I tell him to do it, and the time frame I want him to do it, I'm out. I'm out. Sound familiar? And God's listening to this. God is so patient with them and with us, isn't he? So God he knew what he was gonna do. He sent manna, bread from heaven. We need this. Go back and read this great in the book of Exodus. It's like every day when the Jewish people walked out of their tents, there was actually bread laying on the ground. Not a lot of it, just enough for that day. And they gathered it up and they had enough to eat for that day. And then it was gone the next day, the next morning, they went outside, there was more manna laying on, on the ground. Not a lot, just enough for that day, which is where Jesus quotes later, give us this day our, I just need enough for today, Right? So Jesus is actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter eight when he says this, he, God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on or trusting every word that comes from the mouth of God. Meaning this, before God did what he did, no one ever thought about this. They were in a problem and they never seen God provide or do, do anything, satisfy people like he was about to do. So they didn't even think it was possible. So they didn't think God had a plan, that God had forgotten about them, right? But they didn't even think that maybe God had the whole, I know how to take care of my people part figured out long before they even got to the desert. You think about that? Before they even got there, God knew about a week after the, the, that Red Sea thing, they're gonna run out of food. I've got a plan. The one thing God did not ask those people to do is figure out the plan. Know what he was gonna do. All he asked them to do is trust every word that comes out of my mouth. I will do what I told you I would do. I'll take care of me. That's all I need you to do. It's the same with us. What about the bread? And what about the bread? And what about the bread? Just, you've got to trust me. But I don't know how, and I don't see how you're gonna do it. And in my circumstance, I just need you to trust every word that comes out of my mouth. Can you do that? And the people didn't trust God. They didn't think you'd take care of them, at least not this time. He's done in the past, he's probably not this time. So Satan tempts you and me the same way he tempted Jesus, by attacking the big three questions of life. Are you really who God says you are? Is God really gonna take care of you and your problem, or is he not? And this part of my life is really vulnerable because it really hurts, but there is a way to fix that part of your life, but it's different than what God says, but it's better than God's. And how does Jesus respond? By holding on to what God said was true. I'm gonna hold on to what God said is true. He held on to truth. Listen to the rest of what Paul says back there in the verses we looked. We'll finish out that paragraph about Satan's specific plan of attack against you. He starts by saying this in verse 13. He says, therefore, if all that's true, you have to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the hardest times of your life comes, you may be able to stand your ground and not fall. And after you have done everything to stand, not get crushed. 
So guess what the first piece of armor Paul says you've got to put on? And he goes on and he says, there's a bunch of other pieces, but here's the first one, look at the next verse. Stand firm then with the belt of what? Truth buckled around your waist. And there are a lot of other pieces of armor he goes on and refers to, but probably the first and best defense that you're, you and I are ever gonna have against what Satan is, is trying to get us to believe that's not true. It's truth. This is what God said. This is what God said is true. This is what I'm gonna hold on to. This is what I'm gonna plant my feet on and take my stand. I don't totally understand it. I don't even like it totally, all right? I wish he'd explain himself to me, but here's, here's why I believe it. I believe it's true because I trust the God who said it was true. That's why I'm going with him. I don't understand God a lot of times. I don't even like the plan sometimes. I trust, I trust that what God has said is true because I trust God. Now let's apply that to us, all right? All right? And I gotta just warn you, you might wanna leave. This, it gets rough from now on, all right? So I was saying that song earlier, right? Here's what I mean. Um, if bread represents the most vulnerable part of your life, that part of your life that's open to attack, the thing that I feel really hungry and this unsatisfied in this part of my life, there's a part of my life I, it really needs feeding. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Then here's what we can expect. Satan knows about it. Satan knows about it and he will relentlessly keep on attacking that area until he brings you down, right? And some of you go, that's what happened, right? And the way that he's gonna do that, all right, he's not so much gonna try to get you to screw up or make a big mistake or commit some sinful act. What he's gonna try to do is get you to abandon trusting and believing what God said is true about you and a better way to go. And out of the overflow of that, all the, all the actions will happen because out of the overflow of our faith and trust or lack thereof, that's what we do, right? And the way he's gonna do that is get us to question who we are and how much we're worth, right? Let's get, get, get us to take matters into our own hands, take a shortcut, because it makes sense. I love how the Bible says it. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Doesn't that explain a lot with our world even today? I know what God said, I know what they said, I know what the Bible says, I know what this, but you know what? I'm gonna do what's right for me. You know, don't let anybody tell you what's right for you. You just gotta make up your mind. If it works for you, in your eyes, then you should go do that, and that's your truth. But if bread represents whatever part of your life is vulnerable and the part of your life that if it really blows apart, everybody, everybody gets creamed by it, all right? Th th then here's the thing is, all right, you can fill in the blank with anything going on in your life. I, I, wanna, I wanna give you three examples, all right? Three examples of the biggest things that people deal with, at least at Flatirons. And, and, and here, there's a danger in this because now from now on, you're gonna, some of you are gonna walk out of here because it happened last night. So you're, this whole talk has been about this and it's not. It's, these are just three examples and you can fill in the blank with your circumstance, okay? But I'll tell you the three biggest things that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis around here in terms of this part of my life is really broken. The first one would be sexuality. It, it just would, all right? And, you know, try not to nod your head, but a lot of us are like, ooh, that's true, all right? And here's what I mean. Almost every sexual problem that I have ever had to work through personally or help anybody else work through, almost every time, and I'm gonna be honest with you, what I wanna say is every time, every time, but maybe I've forgotten one in the past, but every time that I can remember when somebody has something really gone bad sexually in their life um, can be traced back to something happened. Something happened to me or something happened to them at a very key formative time in their sexual development and their gender formation and it screwed them up. It messed them up. What do you mean? I mean this. Again, you don't have to agree with me on this, all right? I mean, you don't, but this is just what I've observed. I'm not even saying it's true in your circumstance. I'm just saying this is what I've observed, all right? Meaning this. I, I don't know what causes a person to be gay. I, I don't. 
I don't even claim that's way above my pay grade. I don't, I don't know that, all right? All I know is this, okay? 100%, 100% of the, of the homosexual men, young men, old men, whatever, that I have talked to over the last 30 years of ministry point back either to a sexual experience, usually a molestation, or I was exposed to pornography at a very young age, and it messed up how I saw myself and how I saw other people. So well, that didn't happen to me. All right, fine. I, I'm not saying that being molested or viewing pornography causes sexual problems of all kinds, gay or straight, to everybody. If, if that happened to you, then you're going to be jacked up later in life. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that 100% of the people that I have talked to in my life, and I put myself in this category, who have had sexual problems in their life, were exposed to some kind of wrong, confusing sexual experience earlier in their life, and it messed them up and caused them to begin to see themselves differently than what God has said is true about them. Everyone. I'll give you an example. Like my friend Bob, not his real name, all right? Well, a, a, a while back, Bob came to me and go, hey, Jim, listen, all my life, people have treated me like I'm gay. They called me gay. They call me names like queer and faggot. So maybe that's what I am. Maybe that's, that's exactly who I am. Because you know what? Honestly, Jim, that's how I feel. And that's what I'm going I'm to go do that. That's what I'm going to do. And he did for the rest of his life. You know what happened? A voice other than God was telling him, this is who you are, Bob. This is how much you're worth, and there's a way to live your life. It's different than what God says is true about you, but you need to go and live it. And then we start believing and acting out of that. And he did, and he died. This is not a gay or straight thing. This is a, I see myself the wrong way, different than what God sees me, and I believe it. Or how about this, all right? Uh, addiction. We deal with a lot of addictions around here. Pick your drug, pick your activity. Addiction is about looking in the mirror and hating the person looking back at you, isn't it? Addiction is about shame and guilt. Addiction is about hiding behind or escaping to something that you know is horrible. If you lay down on a counselor's couch and you say, do you know what you're doing is horrible? You look back at the counselor and go, of course I know it's horrible. It's ruining everything. But it's, it's better than this other thing that's even more horrible. What? My life. My life. So yeah, I, it's all screwed up. But it's better than, than dealing with my, my life. Because I'm not who... God says I am, or who, whatever, I'm, I know who I am based on what I've done. Or how about this, relational chaos? What do you mean? Husband, wife, we're not getting along anymore, parent, child, we hate each other, boyfriend, girlfriend, friend, now enemy. Every, every relational disaster that you and I have ever been a part of in the past or are in the middle of right now can be traced back to this. Everything that's blowing up your relationships can be traced back to this. One or both of you begin to see yourself or see the other person differently than how God sees them. So we begin to treat or allow ourselves to be treated differently than how God values us. Isn't that true? One of us got selfish and we demanded more than we should have demanded. Or one of us saw ourselves as a piece of crap and we gave away way too much. Right? It just explains a lot. Or how about this? One or both of you got attacked in a really vulnerable part of your life that got broken, usually because something happened a long time ago, and then we begin to believe and rationalize that given what's happened to me and given who I am, my situation is different than anything or anybody else that's gone through this. So this time, I should be allowed a different set of rules. I should be allowed to, to, to do different things and break certain normal rules. Other people shouldn't break those rules, but my situation's different, and I get a pass on this one. And we played that out, and eventually somebody got punched, somebody got, you know, had an affair, somebody said one thing, and then covered it up with a bunch of lies. We want to keep going? Because we go, we go to lunch on this, right? Money problems. That's not my fault. I had to do it. Health problems. I know it's not good for me. I just can't help it. Dishonesty and deceit. I can never tell the truth. Nobody would understand. I can't do that. I'm too old. I'm too this. I'm in a wheelchair. I don't, my mom did this. My dad walked out. On and on it goes. 
No matter what your bread is, the, the source of temptation in every part of your life will always come back to this. Satan will do the research and he'll find what part of your life needs feeding and he'll offer you a shortcut to make it satisfied. And your only defense will come back to this. Who does God say I am and how much does God say I'm worth? Does God understand my problem? Will he take care of me this time? Does God still love me? And do I believe him or not? And if you can answer those questions, all those questions with a yes, you're gonna be okay. And by okay, I'm not saying your problem's gonna go away or, or, or life's gonna get easier and you know, the bubble's gonna be formed around you and nothing will ever be able to touch you again. It means that nothing will happen to you that's too much for you to bear with God's help. But if the answer to any or all of those questions is no, I, I don't believe that's true, then here's, I'm not a prophet, but here's what you're gonna get up out of this room and do or you're doing right now. You're gonna go try to find another way different than God's. You're gonna find a shortcut to, to find a life that's worth living. But here's the prophecy. You won't find it. You know why? Because it doesn't exist. Because it's not true. But here's, 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 here's the story. A lot of us won't discover that it's not true until we've lost way too much, more than we can afford to lose or lose again. Right? So what, what, what do you do with that? What do you do with all this? Okay, I don't want to be crushed anymore. I don't want to blow things up anymore. Well, the answer would be this. We have to hold on to truth. Or we have to, if we don't know what truth is, we have to find out what God says is true about us. Where do you do that? Well, there's a bunch of obvious ones. Like, like crack a Bible every day, a little bit. You know, there's free Bibles in the back. You start, I've started the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you find something in there until it goes, this is who you are. How about this? Keep coming. I mean, you're here today. You're not going to get all this. This is, this, is, this is too much. You just keep coming week after week and let a little more truth wash over you, a little more light shine into your life, and eventually your eyes will start to adjust. How about this? You surround yourself with voices that are saying the same thing to you that God is saying to you about you. Well, what do you mean? I don't know. So if some of you are sitting there going, but I've got these other voices and these other people and my own conscience is going crazy and I need some help with the heavy lifting. Then call the church on Monday. You know, talk to our care team. Uh, attend shift, all right? It's not meeting this Friday night because of the fall fest, but every Friday night, it's a community that just says me too. We don't throw stones at one another. You, how about this? Volunteer to help at fall fest. Here's what's gonna happen, guys. Here's you're gonna hand out candy for, the, for about three hours and finally you're gonna go, hey, dude, do you wanna go get some coffee or whatever. Do you want to go? And, and so you'll go out and go, hey, and then you'll sit down at a coffee shop or a bar or whatever that is, and you'll look across at this person and go, hey, can I ask you a question? What Jim was talking about, do you, how do you deal with, and off we go. That's called community, right? So that, that's what I would recommend, but all, all those are okay. There's a better way. And here's what I mean. Nothing comes close. Nothing can replace this. This is the best. Ask Jesus to come and live in you and regenerate a new life from the inside out. Give you a new identity. Crucify the old me and resurrect a new me. Give me a new hope and a new vision for my life. I, I need a different future. That's only possible from the inside out. Jesus, come and live in me. Well, how do you start that right now? Conversation with God. This is my first time in church. Am I allowed to talk? I thought I had to go in this or a booth or this. No, you can have your own conversation with God. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray. And when I say I, I'm going to pray, I can pray for you. I can't pray instead of you. That's how it works. I mean, you have to have your own conversation with God. So, but, but maybe the words that are going to come out of my mouth or the, the two songs you're going to sing after I say amen, maybe, maybe your prayer is, God, what, what we, that, I wanna, that's what I mean. And ask Christ to come and live in you and change you from the inside out. That's where it starts. Let's pray and then we'll sing and then we'll go buy candy, Okay because we love Jesus, all right?
uh, God, uh, we, we come to you, and I, again, I can't pray instead of anybody, but I think I can put some words together that are the prayer of a lot of our hearts. It goes like this, dear God, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I, on the outside, I, you know, I've, I've got a lot of people fooled. Uh, the truth is there, there are cracks in my armor, and, and I'm about to get found out, and it's not going to go well, and I'm afraid. So I'm looking for a better way. I'm looking for a shortcut to a better way. I feel like I've made some decisions and other people have made decisions for me or about me and it's crushing my life and I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And so God, I need you in my life. Whether it's my first time in church or that I've been here since I don't remember not being in church, it doesn't matter. I, I'm having a conversation with you right now saying I need the strength of Christ in my life. I need you to remind me that you love me, that I'm forgiven, not because I'm a great person, but because of what Jesus did on a cross for me. I'm leaning my life against Jesus. I I know I can't clean up my act. I can't be a better husband, a better father, a better, I can't, I just don't have the ability to be a better person or else I'd I'd already be that person. So I need you, Jesus, to come and live in me and do in me what only you can do. And that's regenerate my life. Crucify the parts that need to be crucified, bury them and let them rot in a grave and then resurrect who I was always meant to be. It's all made possible through Jesus. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. I need you to do something as miraculous as send bread from heaven. I need you to to come and live in my life. That's my prayer in Jesus' name, amen.